This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Sur with Insider Perks here, as always, with Kara Sismani from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. We've got our, another, our regular kind of campground owner-focused show happening again today, so we're pleased to welcome back Mr. Mike Harrison from CRR Lifestyle, as well as Duncan Winship from Papoose Pond. I believe we might be joined by Joe Dumeg from that in my community. I'm not sure if he's just got busy and has other commitments or things like that, but hopefully he'll be joining us a little bit later in the show. And then we've got two special guests here with us today. We've got Nick Perslow, the business development consultant from Glampatech, who is a consulting firm in the UK, Nick, that is moving and expanding into all other kinds of places. I'll give, you a chance to inter- I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself in one second. And then we've got Kevin and Isaac Rains here, who are the owners of Dappled Light Adventures, and they have glamping rentals that are located on 50 acres of privately owned property in Daniel Boone National Forest in Kentucky. Super excited to talk to them. So I think the conversation may end up veering a little bit towards glamping, which we were having an interesting discussion before we got started, what it is and whether anyone here qualifies Duncan, Mike, me, whoever else, cabins, whatever else. So we'll dive into those kinds of conversations and things like that. So just super excited to be here for another show. What's on the minds of, let's start by introducing yourselves. And Nick, just tell us a little bit about what Glampatech is briefly, and then we'll give Kevin and Isaac the similar opportunity. Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Brian. I'm Nick. I work for Glamitech, which at the minute is a UK company, which was started in 2019. And essentially we help people start their own glamping businesses and whatever form that may take. We started in 2019 after our two founders, Callum and Ali, set their own glamping site in the UK, just a little, little five unit glamping site on the North coast of Scotland. They've got these little glamping pods, which are like curved timber cabin kind of things. They're huge in the UK. And yeah, we've been going for two, three years now, growing fast, and we're due to expand and launch Glamset North America, which I'll be heading up uh, next month. Uh, so keep an eye out on that. I'll be posting. I'll be very busy on LinkedIn and mostly talking about the US and Canadian markets. But yeah, keep an eye on that. Awesome. Super excited to dive into that with you in a little bit uh, here. Kevin and Isaac with a Z, who we misspelled in the Facebook post. Totally my fault. <laughs> no worries. It happens all the time. So I'm Kevin, I'm dad, and we bought a property our family did about 17 years ago. And I wanted to get my family outside. We lived in a pretty urban area. So I wanted to get sick and his two sisters outside on uh, weekends and over spring break and that kind of thing. It just was a 50 acres of raw land and had a driveway on it. And we started cutting trails and Isaac and I all firewood out of the woods and he was eight and nine, just do little projects around the property, create fire rings and that kind of thing. Over time, it went from tent camping to a trailer, to a yurt, to a cabin. And then over the last year, Isaac has developed it into a full-fledged lamping business that has seven structures on the property now. Awesome. Congratulations. That's pretty cool. I, I was telling you before the show, I think I've been to Kentucky and Daniel Boone National Forest and driven all through the state parks there. In addition to having a beautiful state park system, it's just a beautiful state to be in and be a part of. So super excited. Maybe you can share some pictures with us a little bit later. We'd love to visualize that in addition to chatting with you. But before we get into these gentlemen's stories from Glampatech and Kevin and Isaac's story, Duncan, Mike, is there anything that's come across your desk in the last month since we've had you on the show from a campground owner perspective that you think we should be paying attention to? Certainly from our perspective is forecast, perhaps a short term. What is, what does it look like on Markep forum as well? And as across the country based on the gas prices and inflation. And it seems u- universally everyone in that forum posted they're down. Doesn't mean they're down from two years ago, but certainly the, the pace has slowed a little bit of the on fire nature of what the camping industry has seen, certainly in the short term anyway, seems a little bit slower. So that's something we're monitoring. Is it just a 30, 60 day? Will people see what happens with gas prices and inflation? Because our pace for next year is still booking, but certainly slowed down a little bit. So that's something we're keeping a very close eye on. 
Yeah, I'm doing the same thing, Mike. And I've had calls with you and some of our other clients at Insider Brooks. I'm actually pulling up right now. I just wanted to see because I think the Fed was going to announce their announcement right now, right? Like literally at the same time. Yep. Increase the interest rate by three quarters of a percentage point. So they just did that five minutes ago. So that was expected in the market. But yeah, inflation is definitely a big topic. And it's really interesting, kind of some of the things we're seeing. We discussed on the show previously. I don't know how far we want to deep dive into it. But one thing that we've noticed up here in New England is that we've actually seen people park the trailer or looking to keep it parked or have gone back to the classic tents. Tent booking is up quite a bit over previous years than we've seen in the past. It was definitely RV driven last year and the year before, but now we're seeing people bringing and packing out the canvas again, which is fascinating and uh, brings a different kind of style of camping. It puts a lot more demand on some of your other amenities when you have a lot of tenters in the park. It definitely puts a lot more use on the bathhouses, puts a lot more use. So you got to make sure you keep on top of some of those amenities, that kind of thing. So it's still, still looking like it's going to be a great summer. But the clientele that we may see may be a little more quick than what we've seen the last two seasons. I'm well, I think. Go ahead, Kara. Sorry. I'm sorry. I was just going to speculate about after last year and everyone having these really difficult time, like really busy and nowhere near enough staff. Does this, will, do we feel like this will translate to a little bit less pressure on the staffing side for this summer that will alleviate some of that? or? Nope. <laughs> Can't even, nope. Dead hands down. Nope. There's just still not enough staff, not enough people, not enough. Not, yeah. Last month there was, there were the jobs report. There was 11 million open jobs and five and a half million available employees that, that, that really hasn't changed yet. And now obviously as things are a step process, right? So depending on what happens with the Fed rate, depending on what happens with inflation, there's going to be some kind of slowdown, which will clearly indicate what happens, the RV industry isn't going to slow down to the point where, you know, hey, we're cutting staff and it's still a very healthy industry and we're very tied into the hotel industry as well. And the indicators are still good and the RV and, you know, still is the most affordable vacation people can take. Our outlook is this is a short term, I want you to find a short term as relative to everybody, a short term condition, but still extremely healthy industry. And which means staffing, we still have challenges with. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard across the spectrum from different hotel operators that this is the best summer they've ever had in the history of forever. I remember Hilton Corporate is saying that and some of the local people that we know that own franchises and things like that. And, and I think that one thing that's important to hit on before we move on from this topic, because I don't want to focus again on inflation too much because we've touched on it in previous shows, although it is important, is that you're saying that, yeah, you're down from last year, but you're up 30% from 2020 or 2019. And so in hindsight, if you cut out this chunk of time that is really Probably. hopefully never gonna repeat itself again we're doing really good as an industry still okay so let's move on from inflation real quick and talk about i guess we should probably focus on glamping is there anything else duncan that you wanted to that came across your desk that you wanted to touch on before we kind of shift gears here no that's really about it this is just the pivoting away from as many rvs and into Hints again, cabin rentals still are doing really well as we kind of pivot to talk about glamping, at least for us, but we've had cabin rentals now for close to 50 years. So it's definitely been something that we've had in our business model from almost the very beginning. Um, How old are you, Duncan? Me? <laughs> nah, is way older than I am. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I'm just giving you, I'm just giving you a little tease there, Duncan. So, no, yeah. Continue, please. I'm sorry. Yeah, so uh, I think that there's still uh, a ton of demand for that. I think some people have pivoted back to hotels. As you're seeing, some of that hotel demand really bounced back. Everyone tried camping last year, and now they're trying hotels again this year. And then it'll be curious to see how it leveled back out the following year. peaks and valleys as it goes. Consumer behavior is very amorphic at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting to me. And again, I really, we should talk about this more. We just don't want to focus every single show on it because it's, the behavior is really interesting to me because you would assume that just like in 2008, people would take less long trips and they would stay more close to home. But the searches we've seen for people in radiuses around parks like campgrounds near me, RV parks near me is actually down the last two weeks over the last two weeks and the last 30 days over the last 30 days, which is an indicator that in general, people are not looking for places closer to home. And so we don't know 
if they're splurging on those longer RV trips, like they're splurging on hotel vacations like we're reading about, if they're just not traveling at all, if they're waiting till the kids get out of school, there's so many different things that are influencing all together. And it's hard for us to discern the behavior. It's so rapidly changing. Well, and our season so Sorry. No, no worries. The fog of war lays thick upon the land. Let me write that down. Yeah. <laughs> you like that little sound point? I did. That was good. Good. Yeah. We can pull that out and put it on like a social. We're talking about that, pulling out quotes and putting it on social graphics. So that'll be our first one. Yeah. No, for sure. I, it's an interesting dynamic. I think it's all obviously there's so many gears turning in at once in the machine and compounded by arguably for a lot of us a really short season. So it ends up being typically hindsight when we're assessing how things went. It can be one of the biggest hurdles of this industry. For Let's sure. pivot here in a second. Talk to, I think this is maybe a good segue. Isaac and Kevin, you told us, you introduced yourself, told us a little bit about your business. And I want to learn how you got started and things like that. But very briefly, just help me with my segue here. Do you see that any of this is impacting your glamping business or the other people that you talk to who are your colleagues that, who, who do the same thing? So not yet. And the only, the main reason is because we've only been operational for one, one quarter now. So only a few months. So for us, it's hard to track any trends because we've only just opened. So unfortunately we're not the experts yet on those types of trends, but I can say that we are well above projections and our projections were based on what's in the area and what other people are renting textures cost per night. We went a little under that even. And our revenue is still above projections. So we haven't seen it just yet, but it wouldn't surprise me if it does, if there is a, a bit of a dip for us, there's some seasonality as well. So mm-hmm. we're going to get completely bonkered fall because the Eastern woodlands have beautiful colors that come out in the fall. And then we dip a little bit in the winter, strong in the spring, dip a little bit in the summer because of heat. So we're put of a roller coaster effect through the year. But as of right now, not to counter anything that's been said so far, but we're above projections, thankfully. Well, that's why I'm glad we have you guys on the call, because the glamping industry is one of those unique hybrid industries between hotels and between camping. And yep. while we're seeing hotels have blowout quarters, campgrounds are obviously doing very well still. There's no question about that. They're just down from 21. And so it's an interesting discussion that we might be able to have here on a middle ground of are you being, are you leaning closer to the hotel side or are you leaning closer to the campground side? Or are you carving your own niche? Nick, what have you seen? I know you talk to a ton of businesses, both in the UK and soon in the States. Yeah. So in terms of macro trends, I think it was what you were saying earlier, Brian, in terms of the pandemic sort of launched it into the stratosphere a little bit. And there was a huge boom last summer, certainly in the UK and maybe to a lesser degree this summer, but certainly the way the industry has developed, especially in the UK, it's sort of in that self into the consciousness really. And it's, even though there's maybe a slight dip from last summer, there's certainly a, a huge, been a huge difference between now and two, three years ago, where it was more of a niche in the U S it's the U S is probably two, three, four years behind the UK in terms of maturity of the glamping industry. But again, last the COVID issues helped with actually into the consciousness and it's certainly got plenty of legs left to go. I think in on sort of the overall macro trends in terms of the inflation. The impact of that, I'm not so sure on that, to be honest, you guys on the ground would be better to know about that, but macro trends, certainly it's continuing to grow. I'm going to take this opportunity you gave me and pivot topics away from inflation. So let's talk about glamping in the UK first, because it interests me that you, obviously your company started over there. You're now coming over to the States. Why do you feel like the glamping industry is more, obviously it is, I believe you, but is more established, has gotten more legs, has had more years to run in the UK and to a certain extent Europe than it has in the States? Uh, okay. So first, really just anecdotally, if I, when, when someone asked me what I do for work and I'll say, the first question I'll say is, do you know what glamping is? And almost everyone in the UK says, yeah, I know what glamping is. I, I asked the same question in the U S and it's a lot more hit and miss. So I was literally speaking today to some insurance providers who looking to get some professional liability insurance for when we launch. And I said, to two different providers, do you know what glamping is? And they said, no, not really. So just start on this sort of national consciousness, it's less of a thing. And also. Uh, just a number of people want to start their own site. It's, it's sort of, there was a big boom a couple of years ago in the UK and you hear more and more people saying that there's more and more people getting into it in the US. 
uh, but just probably to a lesser degree than the than UK currently. But if you look at the research that's been done by these research companies, it's projected to just go and go and go a minimum over the next decade. How do you define glamping? I'm going to put you on the spot. How does Nick define glamping? Me, me personally, I yep. think it, it deserves a quite a broad interpretation. It means glamorous camping. That's what the word means. And so to me, that means anything really where you don't have to pitch your own tent and there's a relative degree of luxury. Some will say it should only be tented structures, you no know, canvas tents. I personally think it, it should incorporate things like glamping pods, which are timber structures, which certainly have become popular in the UK and also yurts, geodesic domes and that kind of thing. So I think it, it deserves a quite a broad interpretation and is up to, to the site owner and the guests to, to determine. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think that whether it includes cabins or not that have been traditional and like Duncan was saying, has been around at his property specifically for more than 50 years, I think is where I'm not sure. I think it very easily could, but yeah, I think it should be an all-encompassing term basically that encompasses everything outside of the RV state and the tent state. Mm -hmm. Basic, yeah. I'm setting up a tent I buy from Walmart or wherever today. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I think that oh, go ahead, Duncan. I think that just speaks to how we set guest expectations. That's always a part of all this is what does the guest expect when it goes to a, a glamping either property or a glamping location inside of larger property? What do they expect the outside to look like? What do they expect the inside to look like? And what do they expect if any additional amenities that are specific to that? Like you have some places that do glamping where they have a guy who comes out and does a s'more buffet for you at your site. Is that glamping or is that like uber glamping? Is that just a whole other level beyond what we think of when we talk about glamping? And I think that's, I think all of us are under defining their guest expectations because of it. There's a big difference between a Ritz Carlton and a uh, Hilton Garden Inn and they, they both serve different purposes, but they're both considered hotels. No, yeah. I, we run into a similar issue with the lamping. Yeah, that, yeah go ahead, that's a huge thing that, so I'm currently writing a book on, I've interviewed lots of glamping site owners and just basically getting their words of wisdom and advice on things that people should do when they set up the site. And one common thing that I've heard from a lot of site owners is the bit, one of the biggest issues, as you say there, Duncan, is failing to set those expectations. So mm -hmm. people maybe who want to try glamping for the first time are expecting hotel bellboy level service when a lot of the times that's not the case. It can be the case, but most sites generally, a lot tend to just let you leave and enjoy the nature and some seclusion and in, in some slightly nice accommodation. Whereas when people don't necessarily put that on the website and in the marketing and then the guests come and say, well, where's my service and all this, it, it can cause them problems and lead to some bad reviews. So I'd certainly agree with that one. I don't know about anybody here, but I'm expecting a s'more buffet everywhere I go. For. But I think that's part of the glamping is a relatively new industry, right? So education and communication and marketing the guest is important. It's no different than when the Residence Inn brand or an Extended Stay brand came out for hotels. People didn't understand what that was and that it was gonna have a kitchen and what did you do? I remember 10 years ago and I would go camping and I'd have my air mattress and my Marine buddy would make fun of me and oh, you're glamping, right? With my air mattress and my LED light, not my little, my little propane lantern. And now depending on what, to your point, depending on what level of glamping is really is defined by the consumer. And we've got three different glamping options on our properties, whether it's a wagon, whether it's a covered luxury tent or whether it's a cabin. So really educating and providing that information to the guests of what the experience, it's no different than an Airbnb, right? You can go to an Airbnb and what are you getting? Is it gonna be a full house that's got six bedrooms and you got your own yard? Or the downstairs one bedroom studio apartment where people are running up above you. And so I think that's key is educating what your glamping option and what you're providing. You're talking about expectations, right? There's two different types of expectations in my mind. There's the consumer expectation of what glamping is as a whole. And that's obviously still being defined and probably will be for years. It doesn't help that we don't have the residence inns, the Ritz Carlton's, the Aloft hotels, the different, the unique brands. Obviously we've got KOA and Jellystone, but we don't really have those unique individual larger developed brands yet. Maybe that comes one day, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. But so there's that consumer expectation or perspective, just like the hotel industry drove toward online reservations. And now people expect that from the camping industry and so on and so forth. They expect you to be available to answer Facebook messages, stuff like that. And then there's the brand or the expectation that you set at your property that we've talked about, 
which is that kind of individual branding of this is what glamping is to me at my property and this is what you can expect. I don't know how we, go ahead, sorry. It'll be curious to see how it goes in the next couple of years. Because there's a couple of businesses out there that are really entered and are growing. I think we see Hutopia is one. I think AutoCamp is another one. And I'm sure there's another one or two that I am missing right off the top. Uh, under Canvas. Yeah, there's several that are focused specifically on glamping type businesses. And I think that's, Brian, you and I have had this conversation multiple times. It's one of the challenges that the industry has to evolve to is there isn't an Expedia.com, you know, for the campground industry where one site where everybody goes and say, Hey, I want to stay, there's probably 50. And where do you go to choose your different options? And there's a new startup that seems like every month of now there's hip camp and, yeah. and which one do you go on? So I think that's, there will be an evolution. There'll be a consolidation of the industry, especially once more institutional money comes in and starts to really adopt and absorb some of these other smaller or startup companies I, I, that's going to happen for sure. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. The, the shifts that are changing throughout the whole place. Really interested to see what happens and what goes on. I was going to give Isaac and Kevin, I feel like they were trying to get our attention by jumping in and out and turning their camera sideways hey, like they wanted to dope. talk. But now they're gone. And so I can't give them a chance to talk anymore. So hopefully they'll come back and we'll get a chance to talk about their property and things like that. Nick, tell us why expand into the U.S. now. What's it is the natural next step, really. Obviously, we're growing rapidly in the U.K. My business partner now who founded the company originally is in the Middle East currently, uh, and that's a completely different market. The US has just seemed like the next natural next step. Started really quite trivially. We were at the Glamping Show UK in September last year. And after the show, we had a few drinks and I just said to him, let me crack America. So that's where it all started really. But just because of the way the industry is growing over here and obviously compared to the UK, everything is so much more professional and everyone seems so much more business savvy. And that's not in sort of the UK at all. It's just there's a different business, broader business culture over here in the US. It just seemed like the natural next step. And having done the research and seeing the more and more interesting glamping in the US, it just see, it was the, and, and Canada, it's just the natural next step, really. So I know, and I want you to talk a little bit about the need for the types of services that you offer, because we've seen this in the campground industry, especially over the last few years, as new people have gotten into it and some know what they're doing. Some don't know what they're doing. Some have absolutely no clue what they're doing. I've heard stories about, I think we've talked about sometime on this Oh, I think Sandy brought it up on one of our shows, our first of the month shows where somebody had developed a campsite that had all 90 degree sites. And so there's been campground consultants that have popped up throughout the industry to offer best practices, advice, there's management groups, there's all kinds of experts that you can count on. And so in your mind, when you've got the American Glamping Association, when you've got Glamping Hub, when you've got all those kinds of different resources that are available out there to you, what is the benefit of working with a company like yours or a consultancy in general to start a glamping business? I think the first thing is it's, it's, it's such a nice industry at, at the minute where there's very little, the, the American Glamping Association is doing a great job, but there's not too much sort of culture around it. There's not too many new sites around glamping and it's hard to know where to look when you want to start. I think having someone to hold your hand as you work through the process and tell you about the different hurdles that can be in place is useful. I certainly know that the founders of Glamping Tech UK, they were desperately crying out for something like that when they started their, their business in 2018 and they needed, they made so many mistakes for their own glamping site that they would have avoided if they had someone who had been there and done it before. So I think the companies like ourselves and the American Glamping Association, anyone who either has done it before or has worked and spoken to a lot of people who've done it before can be just a really useful guide and also putting out content that can help people, even if you don't necessarily use our services. We're looking to get lots of blogs and guides out there just to help people through the journey and just educate them a little bit more. Okay. Awesome. Mike and Duncan, I'm curious, and maybe to a lesser extent, Duncan, as we already talked about, is it glamping or is it not at your property? But let's just start with Mike, with your wagons and your other glamping accommodations. Do you feel like it would have been beneficial to have a consultant to work with? Did you work with a consultant that maybe I'm just not aware of? How much research was involved like that? So I, I, it's always beneficial to, to reach out for expertise and to touch on people who have experience and utilize the resources with our hospitality background and our experience already that we had with cabins. We went off on our own a little bit and we obviously built some financial models. I did a lot of different resources, searched and looked at different resources, re resources, I looked at the, uh, the, the glamping convention, the different Arvid convention. And so we. We had deep dove into various different options 
And really, I think it's funny, we were consulting with another ownership group for third party management and they were looking at this resort and they wanted to, gosh, I think it was 250 park model, all vacation rental, transient type lodging models. And so when we were going through the performer with them, we asked them, do you have any commercial laundry to source? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, how are you going to launder 250? It's in essence, like think about hotel room. Do you have specs for purchasing linen, three parts of linen for 250? And they hadn't thought about all the different operational constraints that happens when you add all the glamping. So I think our hospitality background lent itself to you know, what we wanted to do and as well as our construction, our financial background. I think the only thing that perhaps we could have looked at a little bit more was what are the different options that we could select? I think we landed perfectly on what works for us in Camp Verde, which is those covered wagons and the Lux tents. So we're in Verde Ranch. And so the covered wagons are just, they fit. As we expand into the other markets that are in different geographical locations, perhaps it's been pretty cool to see all the, I was looking at Nick's website earlier and seeing those curved wooden huts, if you will. And so there's so many different kinds. I think really what we've determined is what works with your infrastructure and kind of your existing operational load and utilities is the best fit combined with what your market demands. What is the guest, what is the guest looking for? So for example, in Coachella, you and I, we've done this deep dive of our people searching for a cabin, a cottage or a vacation rental. And we determined that the number one search term was vacation rental, right? So is cabin and cottage really fit there? And so what we've landed on is our best glamping option. There's probably an Airstream, Coachella, Palm Springs. And so the covered wagons don't fit for that type of customer and market. So I think it does help depending on your breadth of experience to certainly use the different resources. And some of those resources are consultants and experts, but we also like to make mistakes on our own and learn as well, which we have done plenty, but I definitely reached out to several people when we were landing on what we wanted to do. Yeah, I think it's an interesting dynamic and I'm interested to get Duncan's take on this too. As a, as an existing campground owner, you're right. I don't know for sure. Cause I've never owned a campground, but you have that hospitality experience built in, whether it's RV sites or whether it's cabins or tents or decorating, landscaping, organizing all the people, getting all the resources, gathering them, deploying them. And so I think that in that case, glamping is different in the type of accommodation and the logistics that you're talking about, figuring out laundry and things like that. But other than that, if you've got that hospitality experience, I don't think it's too much of a different pivot for you. Would you agree with that, Duncan, or no? I would agree. I feel that if you're at least in a outdoor hospitality industry and you already have some cabins or park models or some kind of stick structure, in addition to existing RV sites and existing tent sites, depending on how deep you want to go into it, it's not a huge step up operationally. I think the laundry is Mike's best point. That's really something that you have to take a serious look at and you have to take a serious look at it both on the local level and state level because sometimes they start getting involved when you start providing commercial laundry, public linens, that kind of thing. So there's a couple of little minefield items out there that can exist. But beyond that, I feel like it's something you can definitely add to your park. You could just have the rustic experience, Mike, at Verde. If you're doing wagons and you're going the old school route, you could just have people wash the sheets in the river. We, as That's part of the research that we had done is there's a KOA up there that the beds aren't made, right? It's the bed in the bag product and they just put it on. And we had decided we didn't want to do that. So we specced our own linens and there's a coverlet and a runner and a wagon wheel table. And I think what mistakes can owners and operators make is if you don't understand those operational implications, it can be a significant costly um, error because the labor that's involved in these cabins, depending on who's staying there, is it a family of six and are they there for four weeks or is it just a couple in there for a weekend? It could take four hours to clean a cabin. If you don't understand your market, all of a sudden your labor has quadrupled from what you anticipated and then the utilities that are involved with that utilities involved with all the commercial, the chemicals, the laundry. There are so many different factors that people don't anticipate that can really impact what your projected ROI or IRR was on the project that I think is really key. So the hospitality thing, I think to Duncan's point, people figure out, right? Oh, do we want to provide a cowboy hat with our wagon and the s'mores experience and all that kind of fun stuff? People will get that dialed pretty quickly. It's the operational mechanisms that, that you know, I can see Mr. Rain's grinning. So I think probably they've experienced that as well as they found out some of their adventures and just find out along the way sometimes, right? We'll give them, yeah, let's give Isaac and Kevin a chance to pop in here. We saw you guys like flashing your camera, moving it around, trying to get our attention. Like you wanted to talk, but then you <laughs> yeah, it every time we tried to give it to you. So 
That was definitely because we were gentlemen to the talk, not because we're a uh, bad technology or off the grid or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Operations stuff. Forget who mentioned it. I think it might've been Mike uh, who mentioned liking to make mistakes and, and learn that way, relying on mentors and that type. We have a few mentors that do, but we definitely are more on the try things, make some mistakes and learn on that front. And some of the operations has been some big, painful learnings stuff. Let's talk a little bit about your, uh, yeah. Talk a little bit about your process is what I was just going to say. And you beat me to it. So stuff is betting, like he was mentioning, figuring out how to get that, that amount of betting done throughout the week. We have seven structures and people are booking throughout the week, multiple nights, days, and that type of thing. Like that is a lot of laundry, but if we don't have 250 units, finding people on the ground near us has been probably the biggest, biggest thing for us, especially since we manage pretty remotely. The stuff that, that we've learned from the biggest thing has been cleaning. I think the cleaning side of things, again, it comes down to having a team that we really like in our area, just takes good care of us. And then making sure that I, I have all of my checklists lined up and I'm ticking down on those. I lost the plot a little bit. I'm going to add it. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. For us, it's, it feels like the proverbial building the plane while you're thing moment where people are right in the beginning stages and we've had some misses. So while we were working on our barn, we had to park some of our ATVs and UTVs outside and word story. One of our guests found the keys, even though we had thought really well, got the UTV, went on a joy ride, rolled the UTV. That was within our first month of operation. So learning some things about like security, hiding keys, <laughs> screening guests better. Again, a real simple thing was we had five single beds in our cabins. We have one cabin and five lampsites. The cabin, we had five single beds in it. And so there was young men in their late teens, early twenties, running the cabin and splitting that cost amongst them. But that lent itself to a lot of party. So we, when we figured that out, we put a queen size bed in there and a cop for people's children. Oh, just by changing the structure up, it allowed us to have more families and couples. How do you get, how do you get started in Daniel Boone National Forest? I can imagine that there are all these people and I've seen them on the American Glamping Association calls and talk to them in various other places who are starting these glamping businesses and they would love to have, sure, throw me in Daniel Boone National Forest. That's an amazing landscape. So how do you, are you, were you lucky enough to get that one, but two, how do you yeah. decide to do it right there? Yeah, for us, again, it was a happy accident in many ways. We bought the property 17 years ago. We bought 50 acres for $50,000. It was a $1,000 an acre, which in this territory now, it's probably six or 7,000 an acre minimum with major development and restaurants coming in around us. So we landed in the right spots before development, and then we basically around us. So there's zip lines, kayaking, and restaurants that come over the last probably eight to 10 years. So for us, we just solved the opportunity to launch in. I was, I had five auto body shops. We would fix wreck cars. I did that for about 18 years. I had a staff of 75 people. A competitor came in and bought me out. And Isaac and I looked at each other and said, Hey, we have this raw land and a ton of resources. Why don't we launch something new? So here we are month three and we are figuring out as we go. So hopefully we'll have a better stories and better answers a year from now, but right now we are just thrilled to be in this together as father and son. Yeah. I've been at this for yes. 13 years and I still am learning things as I go. Yeah. It never stops, but it's always an interesting process. I think really quick, I'm going to add to what he was saying. Sorry about that. I just wanted to say in terms of the, how do you decide where to go? Obviously our decision was made for us in some ways, but as we've looked for future opportunities and our kind of think plan. We love the fact that where we are right now, we're situated, situated really close to Red River Gorge, Kentucky, which is like some of the world-class climb, hiking, views, all that type of stuff. So I think that like area is huge. You find a place that has some sort of attraction, whatever that might be, or some pool to the full and surrounding states, 
obviously that seems pretty obvious, but it's been huge in our first quarter of it's been huge in giving us a successful first quarter so far. Like I'm confident that our location has a huge impact on why people have not been scared to come out and stay with us. Then the wind and the sail. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. I was talking to somebody the other day and, and we we're talking about location and obviously you guys, 17 years ago, you said you purchased the property. Correct. Okay. So yeah, you purchase the property, probably I'm guessing in anticipation of something that you might be able to use it for in the future. No, having, having no idea what you would do with it now, but there's that kind of buying land and I don't want to say getting lucky, but having the foresight to realize the potential of something. Mm-hmm. And there's the, we, we talked to somebody who's in, I think Colorado, maybe Washington state who is starting up a glamping business. And his idea is that well, I've got two pieces of land. One in, and again, I don't know if it's Colorado, Washington. I feel like it's Washington. That's where the Cascades are, I feel. But so near the Cascade Mountains, and he's going to do that in the summer. They're going to be pop-up temporary glamping units. And then he's going to take those glamping units and drive them south for the winter and open up there. And it's an intro. I don't know that it's going to work. I don't know how he's going to brand it separately from season to season, how he's going to change addresses, do all those kinds of things. Uh, we're working through some of those things with him, but it's an interesting, does permanence have to be a thing? Obviously, if you're buying land, of course, but is it an option to do something like this? Sorry. I love you. Go ahead. Please, Duncan, please. I think you just speak to the, the local and state governances and what they really want. At least here in Maine, there's a fair amount of governmental regulation around both camping and hospitality. And so a semi-permanent traveling glamping camping structure is a fascinating concept, but where do you hang the business name on the door? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. We're going to say the same things, Duncan. I think knowing the jurisdictional barriers to operation here in Canada, obviously I'm not familiar with how things are in the States, but up here it would be very difficult, I think, to operate in that way. And I think there's... Also, jurisdictional barriers. I saw a comment on LinkedIn or Facebook, maybe, asking about if campgrounds and parks allow tiny homes. I obviously can't speak for every park, but there are definite limitations to having a tiny home structure on an RV or recreational outdoor hospitality site on a long-term basis for the vast majority of our parks. If they have operating permit ability to accept a tiny home, on the property, they there will be limitations to how many and all kinds of most campgrounds in this country have operation limitations for times of year. So you can only be open for X amount of days of the year and things like that, unless they, you have special negotiation with your county. So there's all sorts of regulatory stuff that stands in the way of of getting really creative. <laughs> I think argue that industry is very good at finding ways to be creative while functioning within that regulatory framework, but it would be tough to launch something like that up here. I think there's lots of ways to to get around stuff, but those regulations and things are in place for a reason and it's not always the way we want it to be. Like we wish it could be the wild west still and just camp wherever we want, whenever we want. Yeah, there's no doubt that regulations serve a purpose in some cases, but it's interesting. I was having a Slack conversation with somebody earlier today about the changing face of the industry and how it's been slow moving for the last 25-ish years. And at least in this guy's opinion, in the next five years, it's going to move the same speed as it did that whole 25 years. And that's not just from an owner evolution, glamping, changing mindset, consumer perspective and expectations. It's from a, do the regulatory agencies keep up with those things? Well, so I, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to just say, I think our associations are doing a great job of communicating with regulatory bodies. And, and I also think situations like with Isaac and Kevin, where you've got this fairly rural location. But you've got several operators now establishing the natural landscape is a beautiful attraction, but then you, now you've got accommodations providers popping up there. You've got the zip line guys and stuff like that, really shifting that. Randy Hendrickson says all the time, sell the zip code. You're, they're building that zip code, in my opinion, to be something that now will motivate those regulatory decision makers to 
better work in your favor because your businesses are driving so much economic value for the area. And so I, I would argue that the more successful our parks and things are, coupled with our advocacy efforts at the association levels and things like that, where we are making big strides to have those regulatory bodies better understand how the business works and how much economic impact comes from this industry specifically. There's big changes happening. I completely agree with whoever your mystery person is that long-winded stuff that was happening over the last 20 years is going to speed up here as we look for things like economic diversification and that kind of thing. Mike, how do you view the industry changing? I know you're at the forefront here of driving some of that change. I think it, it has to. And the interesting thing that will be that everyone's going to watch is Kara being a little bit of the Grinch, stamping on the creativity of, oh, I can't work. She's, she's right. In California, for example, you can't have a tent with a bathroom. And so like our Lux tents wouldn't work there. But at the same time, what I love about this industry is there's so much diversity of a small seven glamping unit spot to large under canvas 150 unit with $595 a night price tags. And I think as more and more people see this industry as being sexy, outdoor hospitality, outdoor recreation is very broad. It can be a small mom and pop, but it can also be larger. And I think what will happen is again, over the course of three to five years, as I've, you've heard me mention numerous times, one of the large hospitality companies, whether it's a Marriott or Hilton, someone is going to buy up one of these other subsidiary companies and it will really escalate, right? Cause then you have full diversity of distribution platforms and marketing. And because it is a profitable industry, the margins are comparable or better to a lot of the hospitality or lodging sectors. The barriers to entry are a little bit tougher. That would be my dog, Brian. I'm sorry about that. But I do think the technology continues to improve and increase. And we've been working with CampSpot on evolving a lot of their different deliverables and products and reporting the way we approach the business. And we've been talking to several other similar companies to us that are you want to call them family owner operated, but are evolving. We're all doing the same things, revenue management, marketing enhancement, adding a new perspective to the business. And so there, there will definitely be a change of the, the mom and pop places absolutely have a place in this industry, but I feel like it's almost yeah. going like the, the home Depot and the local hardware store a thing from 25 years ago, where there's going to be a slower migration that these other larger industries are going to continue to grow and evolve and develop as it becomes more profitable, more marketable. What was the RVIA report, Brian? $148 billion industry, economic impact to the country. You cannot ignore that. So the industry has to change in order to be competitive, to retain and attract the best employees, to obtain and attract the best marketing efforts. But we're pretty excited to be a part of that. But we also want to maintain that personal feel as well. So a long answer to a short question, but. No, but you bring up some excellent points. We talk, we've talked about technology multiple times on the phone. We, everybody here knows that I'm a very big geek. Like I was reading this morning on the internet, Virginia launches the world's biggest 3D housing project. And obviously we're not talking about housing here, but we are in some ways with cabins and glamping and vacation rentals and things like that. And these things can be printed in, I think they said 48 hours, they've already built one here. And so. I don't want to take up too much of the show talking about Virginia housing, but what I'm talking about and what I've said to people before is this is how you're going to eventually put cabins and glamping units at your campground in your RV park. There's no reason to pay $5,000 plus to have it shipped to you when you can download a schematic and print it. And I'm not saying you're going to own a printer at your campground, but there will be a local Home Depot that you can rent a commercial printer from probably that can come out to your campground for a day or a week and print all your accommodations. And that's going to give you unlimited flexibility. It's going to change how you do business. It's going to change the margins of it. It's, and it's just one thing of so many that you touched on, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, look, Randy's in the chat here. This is why you can't mention him every time. It's too much. Like <laughs> I'm giving Randy a constant plug, but we have, he and I have so many good conversations and he's such a great communicator about stuff that, that his stuff really sticks in my head typically, but. He's been a great champion of the industry. And I think that it's folks like him that kind of have helped start to accelerate things over those last 25 years and continue to do so into the future for sure. Yeah, it's definitely fascinating where we're going. Duncan, where do you see it? Where do you see it all going? How will you and Proposed Pond evolve? We already evolve. We, we look at what some of the larger corporations are already doing, adapt. We, 
are doing dynamic pricing, do lots of reporting. It's one thing that I do weekly and then a whole other form bi-monthly and then monthly and then end of year and all that kind of stuff to quickly pivot. That's one thing I feel like coming out of COVID, everyone should have learned is that we need to adapt and be able to adapt quickly. It used to be like we'd have an economic headwind, at least for us since we're seasonal for the season. You're going to vibe for starting May, June, and it would be the same all the way through October. But very much now, it is a monthly, weekly ebb flow. You just don't know what it's going to be. And I think just being able to pivot and evolve quickly is going to be the strongest that for anybody in the hospitality industry moving forward in the next five years. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, 100%. I still get frustrated by the, we're going to hire a marketing company and do a survey study and we'll get back to you in six months with the results of what we could do in an email if we just went back and forth. That costs $60,000 to do. Yeah. Being a bit, like you said, adaptable, being able to pivot, being able to execute and complete things in a short period of time while still obviously doing your research and being knowledgeable and not making hasty decisions is definitely a skill that is invaluable in today's business world. Keeping the pulse of your own business, where your own bookings are coming in, how are people booking, how long they're staying, is I think a very valuable tool. And I think it's sometimes underutilized at the organic mom and pop level that we'll, they'll need to continue really work on as larger entities that have people with the bandwidth to dive into that data and really make decisions driven out of it. I would argue too that the, I say this often to campground members just during my day-to-day -day association work who are resistant to moving to reservation, like booking software and park management software and things like that. It's so there, we immediately have this barrier in front of us about, I want to be in control of my booking dynamics and all of those things and whatnot. So that shuts the door sometimes, but those things, Duncan, that you're saying that ability to measure all those metrics. I would argue is far bigger, far more valuable a tool even than online bookability. For us, like back in 2018, we had online bookings, but they only accounted for about 20% of total bookings at the park. Yep. Here sitting in 2022, online bookings is 86% of our bookings at the park. But we have a lot more bandwidth on our phone and our phone staff to give that customer service and control that a lot mom and pop shops really love to do love yeah. to be able to talk to your guests talk to your regulars the fact that someone can self-serve and book it themselves gives you then the opportunity to either help answer for questions for your specialty one someone who has like a lot of questions or has a specific need that a computer can't fill and gives you both the bandwidth and time to be able to do that for them therefore giving you even better customer service uh, I'll also say that uh, Brian asked me before the show how old I am. I said, I'm 40 years old, but I know that myself and younger generations really prefer to do stuff on the computer before than call a phone. Definitely when we onboard newer staff, the phone can be an intimidating moment for them just because it's not something they've done since they were little. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think those tools that come along with automating and finding a really great software partner are so valuable. I don't even think, I know for me, I hadn't even, when I first transitioned to using a dedicated park management software, I didn't even, couldn't have even comprehended the amount of variable data I was able to keep track of. And then really use that data to strategize going forward about how I was going to do the pivoting and the necessary things that I didn't even know I was going to need to do. It's great to have those tools and, and so valuable to certainly, in my opinion, even more valuable than just bookability. That's the thing is you don't know what you don't know. And, and I was talking to somebody last week, one of our larger group clients about, yes, you may like this reservation software or the CRM or this database collection or this social media tool or whatever you're using, but for you or anybody else to stop and say, oh, I can't do this because this software doesn't let me do it is to me the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. That doesn't mean you have to switch software, but yep. go find a tool that does what you want it to do. And I think so many people are constrained by the limitations of whatever software, and that's not just reservation software, right? To be clear, that's yeah. dozens of different things. 
Absolutely. But I think opening your eyes to the possibilities and being more creative and thinking outside the box is going to be a useful long-term strategy too. Nick, I meant to get you more involved in the show. We never have any idea where these conversations are going to go. Mm-hmm. Do no planning for these shows at all. Let's give you a chance to touch on technology and, and glamping real quick. We only have a couple minutes left in the show, but where do you see, where are you advising your clients? to go to be prepared for the future? Generally, I think because it's such a, a niche industry at the moment, certainly in North America is, is I think that the primary focus over the next few years is just going to be like pure growth rather than, I don't think it's going to get particularly sophisticated for a good few years just yet on, on the purely glamping side, especially with more, as you say, more and par sort of sites setting up uh, before maybe a hotel industry, a hotel company, as someone said earlier, might come in and they five years time and buy out one of the, like the auto camps or one of the bigger ones. I think it's going to be then when you're going to start to see more sophistication that what I personally do to just stay ahead is look at other industries. So the hotel industries that are more established there's a little niche community at the minute that they're interested in shorts and rentals, but particularly Airbnb, individual houses and properties. And there's a little niche community at the minute that's full of tech investors and, and that kind of thing. And they're really obviously up to speed with how the technology is moving. I, I focus on, I look towards them a little bit. There's a guy called Richard Furtick. I'm not sure how where you guys are with him. Uh, and he is very much interested in that kind of thing. So I just look around, see what other industries are doing and, and just try and keep one step ahead. And so hopefully Glamtech can advise the clients, as you say, and help our clients keep one step ahead too. Awesome. Thank you for joining us, Nick. I think we're always at the point as we are almost every week, I feel like, Kara, where we just want to do another hour and get to these great conversations that we're having. But everybody's got to go. Everybody's got other commitments. We really appreciate all of you guys joining us for another episode of MC Fireside Chats. Uh, Nick, your expertise with Glampatech. Uh, if you want to pop your link there in the chat there, you can share it with everybody else. Kevin and Isaac, who dropped off again, unfortunately, just had some bad connection issues, but we got to talk about them, about some of the fascinating ways that glamping is evolving and their business there in Daniel Boone National Forest and how things can evolve and grow around them. And then as always, Mike and Duncan, really appreciate you guys joining us, giving your perspective on things that you're seeing both at CR and Papoose Pond there in Maine. And Kara, as always, here with me from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. So any parting thoughts, final words, Kara, anybody else before we head out? No, I great show as always. I appreciate everybody's contributions here for sure. I think it's my first time being called the Grinch on the show, which surprises me. <laughs> <laughs> we broke the record now. Yeah, no, I, I love this industry and really appreciate everybody and, and your time and contribution to the show and the industry as a whole overall. Awesome. Great. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Again, as a reminder, you can watch us as a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, all those kinds of places immediately after. I just said watch. You can't watch. I lied. You can listen. But you can watch previous episodes on moderncampground.com and mcfiresidechats.com as well. So we will see you next week for our RV industry-focused show. I have another cool bunch of special guests lined up as well as our recurring guests from the industry as well. So thank you guys for joining us. I really appreciate it. And we will see you all next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com. 